So we're on a, I told you last week, a three-week, but it just turned into a four-week um, series. And uh, last week, we talked about being transformed into a disciple, being transformed into a disciple. And uh, we talked about the four ingredients, maybe, of a disciple, or the four characteristics of a, a disciple. And in order to be a disciple, remember, we have to be fat. Remember that? We're to be fat. And uh, to be fat, the F stands for faithful. You got to be faithful as a disciple. You can't be a flake. Do you hear me? You cannot be a flaky disciple. That's an oxymoron. All right? You got to be seriously committed and dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ and to his purpose. You got to be faithful. All right? Think of an employee. An unemployed, an unfaithful employee becomes unemployed fairly quickly. All right? An unfaithful disciple becomes an uh, unemployed disciple fairly quickly, all right? And uh, I've been suffering a little bit from a side cramp, so I'm going to have to put my foot up here on this chair, so you'll forgive me. All right, here we go. So it means I'm serious. <laughs> um, they're fat. Secondly, a disciple is available. They're available. And if you think about it, if you're not available to the Lord Jesus Christ, you can't be his disciple, okay? If you're, if you're going to follow after Jesus, you have to be available to him for you to be able to follow him. What is the number one reason why people are not available to Jesus? They're too busy. Amen, sister. They're too busy. Busyness is the enemy of availability to Jesus, busyness. You could be too busy with your hobby. You could be too busy with your kids. You could be too busy with your work. You could be too busy with a host of things. You've got to be available to Jesus, all right? So a disciple's faithful, available. The next one is they're teachable. A disciple is teachable. That means the teacher teaches and you receive the teaching by being teachable. You receive the teaching of Jesus into your life. And you know how he teaches you? He teaches you from many different sources, but I can think of four in particular. He teaches you through the Bible. If you and me, we're not reading the Bible, we're not going to have a lot of receiving into ourselves from the Lord. We're, we're going to be dead inside. You receive teaching from the Holy Spirit. Remember how it was... I always want to say it was Moses, but it was Elijah that heard that still, small voice. And some people call it a conscience or their conscience, and maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Sometimes your conscience lies to you, so you really can't rely on that. But that still, small voice, a lot of times, is the Holy Spirit warning you and saying, be careful, or prompting you to go do something that you wouldn't do otherwise. So you're teachable through the Word. You're teachable through the Holy Spirit. You're teachable through imperfect people. Here's the third thing. You're teachable because you receive from your brothers and sisters, even from strangers or somebody that's not a Christian. I've learned a lot from non-believers. They have a lot to offer. <laughs> everybody. That's the point is everybody has a lot to offer. You need to learn to be teachable. I mentioned this last Sunday. My kids have taught me so much. They teach me, all right? 
people who report to me, all right, here I'm the big boss, you know, I'm not really, but let's say I was, I'm the big boss. The people that work for me, they teach me all kinds of stuff. And you know what? Even people who get on my nerves, and nobody in this room gets on my nerves, so you don't have to worry about it, all right? But even people who get on your nerves can teach you something. So listen. Don't shut people off. Listen to people. And then the third, the fourth way that we can be taught is through the experiences, the rich experiences that life offers us. Some of them very painful. Some of them very sad. Some of them very good. Some of them very bad. But you learn through the experiences of life if you're teachable. So it's imperative as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I would even say this, and shame on me for saying it, even if you decide not to follow Jesus, still be teachable. <laughs> you stand to benefit as a teachable person, all right? So F-A-T, and then I added a, a second T, so it's F-A-T-T, fat, and that is trajectory. You got to be on a visible trajectory going closer and closer to the Lord. And you can determine, you can look in your own life and see, am I making progress towards Him or am I stagnated, complacent, status quo, mediocre? Mediocre, thank you. I wanted to say mediocrity. Mediocre, and you're not going anywhere or worse still, going in the wrong direction. All right? And so a disciple can say in the last, let's see, we're in March now. In the last two months, I've made some spiritual progress towards my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I've made, but you know what? That's spiritual speaking. You should be able to say that in your personal life as well. I've made some progress in my personal life towards a discipline or a habit that I'm trying to establish or towards an attitude I'm trying to change. That should apply in your professional life. You should be growing professionally and say, in the last three months, I've learned something in my job or my work that has improved me, that's grown me. And so to be a disciple, you have to have these four qualities. You have to. They're non-negotiable. If you don't have any one of these or, or limited in some of these, you're not that much of a disciple with Jesus. And so these are, these are imperatives. And the, the imperative of being transformed from a disciple into a minister that you're going to see today, these are imperatives as well. These are non-negotiables, all right? So I encourage you to latch on to these things and say, I want more of that. I may not be there today. I may not be there tomorrow. But I'm latching on to this stuff, and I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to use this stuff. I'm going, to, I'm going to implement this stuff in my life. Now, remember, we're using this word transformed, transformed into a minister today. Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not conform any longer to that pattern. How many of you don't like being a square peg shoved into a circular hole or vice versa? We don't like that. Well, the pattern of the world is very unforgiving, you got to fit into that pattern, and if you don't fit into that pattern, you don't fit, all right? But it says, instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Change the way you think, and you'll change the way you behave. Stop focusing on external behaviors 
and start focusing on what changes the external behavior, and that's your thinking. Be transformed through the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing, perfect will. I'm sure all of us have said, God, what's your will? Show me what your will is. And God says, I want to transform your mind, and when I do, you will know my will. And it says in the Bible that he does nothing save revealing his plan to his prophets. That's, that means he wants to show you what the plan is, all right? And so he wants to reveal his will. So let me read this statement. The transformation process, which we learned last week, was metamorphosis. It's a literal stage change of, in stages, a, ch- a change in stages. Metamorphosis is a cooperative effort with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's changing you. Well, you got to work with him to allow you to change you. If you have a dirty house and the Holy Spirit whispers in your ear, hey, you need to clean things up a little bit, work with the Holy Spirit. If you're not applying yourself in school and the Holy Spirit whispers in your ear, apply yourself a little bit in school, work with the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit says you got an anger problem, work with the Holy Spirit. All right, be cooperative. So the transformation process is a cooperative effort with the Holy Spirit who is working in our lives over the course of a lifetime. We're not into microwaving. We're into marinating around here. It takes a long time. We're not into the 100-yard sprint. We're into marathons, all right, and maybe longer, okay? So... um, one, one more point I'll say about this, about this fat concept is the fat concept lets you assess if you're indeed a disciple. You can see if you're faithful. Do you, do you read your Bible faithfully? You can say if you do or don't. That's very measurable. You can say, you know, I go to church twice a month. Well, you can determine, does that sound faithful to you or not? All right? I go to church more often. And believe me, we're not trying to score brownie points here with the concept of church. I I really want to make sure that's clear. But if you don't come to church, you're not receiving what you need. That's That's the only reason, in my opinion, or the main reason, the compelling reason to go to church is you receive from the Lord. All right? You're not a better person for going to church. You're just a better person for going to church. You know what I mean? You've received from the Lord. And so it's measurable. And not only can you measure it, but other people can measure it as well. Did you know that I can look out here and know who's available and who's not available? <laughs> I can look out here and I can, I can see who's faithful and who's not faithful. I mean, it's measurable. It's tangible. It's not something that's vague or, or ambiguous. All right, so let's, let's switch gears now and talk about being transformed into minister over the next few minutes here. In 1 Samuel 2.18... Um, we read about this little boy named Samuel. It's 1 Samuel. You would expect it to be about Samuel, but it's not only about him. But in 1 Samuel 2.18, the Bible says that Samuel ministered before the Lord even as a child. Samuel ministered before the, chi- before the Lord even as a child. Now, what on earth does minister? I'm transformed into a minister. Samuel was a minister, and it's a verb. He ministered before the Lord. So it's 
active. Ministry is active. What is ministry? Plain and simple, ministry is service. If you want a one-word definition of ministry, it's service. So we could read it this way. Samuel served before the Lord even as a child. And the title of this message is Transformed into a Minister. Transformed into a servant. Transformed into, I like this more, a service provider. All right? We provide a service, spiritual service, a tangible service, meaningful service. Then we flip over into the New Testament in Acts, Acts 6 4, and it says, But we gave ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The ministry of the word. All right? Well, that has a lot of implications. The ministry of the word. I do that every Sunday. I'm serving you the word. <laughs> I'm giving it to you. This took me time. It took me time on Saturday. It took me time throughout the week. It took thought. It took some sleepless nights. And you didn't know it. I was serving you during the week. And now I'm just offering it to you. That service, all right? I'm serving the Word. I'm ministering the Word. Well, we also find that the Word serves us, if you think about it. The Word of God serves us truth. It serves us comfort. It serves us peace. It serves us power, authority. It serves us solutions. Amen. It serves us fixes that we need. That's what the Word of God does. It serves us. So here again in the New Testament, we see that the meaning of ministry is service, but it's a little bit broader. It's a little bit more alive. And let me give you some thoughts here. It speaks to active service. Not lip service. <laughs> active service. Are you actively serving God and God's people and your world? Are you serving your world? That's a big one to me. I'm telling you what. We don't want to get so serving one another that we're not serving the world. You know why I'm sending my kids off to college? They're learning how to serve their world. <laughs> Big time. They're learning a very useful, practical way of serving their world. And each and every one of us, we're going to get a lot more into this, has gifts that are meant to serve, yes, the church, yes, the Lord, but your gifts are also meant to serve your world. Serve your world. And that's exciting, man. It's powerful. You'll get slapped around. Uh, there's no good deed that goes unpunished. You'll go do things and kick, get kicked in the face, and you'll say, praise God, I served my world. It's powerful. It's awesome. The active service. Listen to this. Done with a willing attitude. Not pushed to do it, but drawn to do it. You can't wait to do it. With a word, you know what another word for willing is? Voluntary. And it's the word, it's the term that we get for volunteering. You volunteer voluntarily. You want to do it. You're willing to do it. You get to do it. You don't have to do it. You get to do it. You love to do it. All right? It also has to do with an ins a spirit-empowered service guided by faith. That's a mouthful. Spirit-empowered. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit on this. Not self-empowered. Not self-discipline-empowered, but spirit-empowered. That's what gets kids studying is the Holy Spirit empowers them. 
You don't make them disciplined to do it. You teach them the reason why they want to do it. And then they begin to do it. All right? It's, it's an internal drive, not an external drive. It's a spirit-empowered thing. And then the last thing I would say about this concept of serving is resulting from the Lord's embirthed persuasion. <laughs> resulting from the Lord's embirthed persuasion. He persuades you that this service is what you were called to do, and you love it. You've been persuaded to do it. No one pushed you, asked you, made you. You did it because you wanted to. You loved it, all right? So, in Romans 12, 6, it says, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Um, let me pause there. <laughs> Next week, all right, we're talking about transforming the ministry. Next week, we'll be talking about God's calling on our life. God's calling in our life. And then through a wonderful, rich conversation I had with Gila, I'm adding one more week to this, and we're going to talk about God's gifts for your call. God's gifts for your call on the fourth week. So that's three weeks from today. So let's keep reading this verse. It says, Romans 12, 6 says, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each one of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. Then it says, if it's serving, then serve, and I'll put in parentheses, according to your faith. Every gift that we have, includes serving, is a function of our faith. So, if I look in our small group here that we have, and I see someone that isn't inclined to serve, you know how I'm going to pray for them? God hit them with a hammer over their head and crack their head open and get them to serve. No, I'm not going to pray that way. I'm going to pray according to the Bible here. It says, God, give them more faith. Amen? God, give them more faith because if they have more faith, they will serve. They'll want to serve. They won't be compelled to. They'll be persuaded to. They'll like it. All right? So I pray, God, give you faith. God, give me more faith, and we will serve more and more and more. But first, we've got to be fat. <laughs> remember that. That's the first stage. But let's, let's keep on going here. So remember, a disciple receives, a minister begins to overflow. You've received so much that now you can give. So you can't give until you've received. So religion would tell us, give, 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 and then you'll receive, receive, receive. But the Bible says, receive, 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 and then you will give, give, give. Amen? All right, so let me give you an example. In 2 Corinthians 1.4, it says, Then we may be able, that we may be able to comfort those in any trouble with the comfort with which we, are, we ourselves were comforted by God. What happened first? Did we comfort someone or did God comfort us first? That's right. God comforted us first and then we were able to comfort someone else. How can you give tithes if you haven't received money to be able to give tithes on which to give? <laughs> How can you pray for healing of someone's heart if, you're, if your heart hasn't been healed first as well? Amen? So you read the Bible closely and you'll, you'll see the, Jesus came to give so that you could give as well. And, and that's why the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's because God sees it that he gave first. And his, what he receives back 
is less important. The most important thing is to give in life after you've received. Amen? So let's continue on. There's five building blocks of ministry. There's five building blocks of ministry, and I'd like to share them with you today. And I'm going to go back. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to harp on this just for a second, because I believe there's some people in here that don't believe me. All right? Receiving is essential to discipleship. Those disciples followed Jesus and received and received and received before they were ever sent out to do anything. I want that to sink in with us, all right? It's a religious thought to think that you can give out of nothing. <laughs> you can't. It's logical, it's biblical, and it's godly to receive. <laughs> and if you can't receive, you will never be able to fulfill your calling that God has given you. What happened? The Holy Spirit infilled not just baptized, infilled those believers on the day of Pentecost, and then they were able to go out of Jerusalem into Judea, into the rest of Israel, and into the other most parts of the world after they were filled, after they received. It is imperative that we receive. And a lot of us, me, so I'll just speak to myself, I tend to get out, of my, out ahead of myself I want to do, I want to perform, I want to do great things, I want to show the world what God has done in me. And that's good, that's admirable, but God's saying, wait, I want to fill you first. I want you to receive first. Does this make sense to everybody? If you disagree with me, I'd like you to see me after church, because this is so important to the gospel and important to the way the church is supposed to operate. Let's move on, though. Five building blocks of ministry. The disciple receives, the minister overflows. <laughs> All right? You, you, you start giving because you just can't help it. It's just flowing out of you. It's, it, that, that, here's another example. Jesus said, drink from this well and these waters will become within you a spring that wells up and overflows out of you. It, I mean, there's example after example after example. That poor lady that was caught in the midst of adultery could never have done anything in her life unless she received the forgiveness and the grace of God in her life. We need to position ourselves to receive. Five building blocks. Here we go. This came to me at work about five or six years ago. There was a time when I was actually leading uh, a group of about 400 people and who reported up to me through different channels. And it was up to me to create a culture in this organization that worked, all right? A culture that worked. A culture that doesn't work is where there's kind of an autocrat, a, 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 not a, di diplomat, a, di a democrat, but a, a, um, a dictator, a dictator who dictates what's going on, they create a terrible culture of fear, of infighting, of undue competition, of things that just don't work. And I didn't want that kind of culture. And really through prayer, God gave me these, these five building blocks. We created little pamphlets that we handed out to employees. We did training on this kind of thing. Once a year, we'd have this conference where 
all the leaders of our organization would come together in a room considerably larger than this in a, in a, in a hotel, and I would just teach this stuff to them, and they would teach it to each other. And they would go out to their properties as property management company. They'd, they'd teach it to their people. And it was amazing the cultural transformation that happened in a very short period of time. And so these five building blocks, at that time, it came to me, this would really work for a church. In fact, it came to me, this is more for the church, and I'm just happening to use it at work, and it's working there. And so I'd like to share, you, share with you what these five building blocks are. If you're a boss somewhere, if you have employees, if you have it in the workplace, these five building blocks are useful for hiring people. If they meet these five criteria, this is a good way to hire good people. If you're looking to promote somebody, these are a good mechanism to decide who to promote and who not to promote. If you're looking to just do an annual evaluation of somebody, this is a good means of evaluating people, and this is certainly a good way of firing people as well. I've used all of these for all five of those different things. So if you're in the workforce, this works. This helps abundantly. All right. This is good for parenting too, by the way. <laughs> Good for business planning, good for your personal life. All right, the first one is selflessness. Selflessness. Can you imagine being in a work, workplace, in a corporation, a company, in a governmental entity, whatever it is, and trying to teach selflessness? <laughs> teach people to be selfless? There's nothing more miserable than internal politics. Don't you hate politics? Oof, drives me crazy. These unwritten rules that you must abide by or else you get punished in unusual ways, all right? Uh, uh, hidden agendas, territorialisms, departmental silos that don't, don't talk to each other. If anybody's been in the workforce, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It makes your life miserable. The root of all of this is selfishness. It's someone who's trying to build their own little kingdom, and they're trying to keep everybody out. So, selfishness is ego, it's pride, and remember that pride cuts us off from God's grace. God keeps giving grace, but we can't receive it because we're prideful, all right? So, pride is a very terrible thing that affects us in many, many more ways than we probably even realize. So, imagine this. I'm sitting, I'm standing in front of these about 100 leaders that we have in our organization, and I start teaching them selflessness. And I ask them, each of them serves a property of anywhere from 20 people to 80 people. And I said, when was the last time that any of you have gone to visit one of your people in the hospital? About five hands go up <laughs> that they have. I said, this is selflessness, caring about people beyond the day-to-day -day work that you do and caring about their lives personally, going above and beyond. And I'll ask you, when was the last time you went to visit someone in the hospital? All right? Amen. I know Kay has. She does almost every day, actually, probably right now. When was the last time you went and took a meal to someone who was sick? Selflessness. All right? When was the last time you call somebody that you haven't seen in a while and you're a little bit worried about them? Selflessness. This is what selflessness is, whether in the church, 
the workplace, family, whatever it is, this is selflessness. The opposite of selfishness is love. And the Bible teaches us to love. Teaches us to love. So, if we're ever going to overflow with ministry, we've got to get over ourselves. <laughs> we've got to get over ourselves. We've got to get over our busyness. <laughs> Part of ourself is our busy lives. And we've got to get over our busy lives, beyond our busy lives. We've got to get over the little things that poke us and prod us and get, our, our, get us all fired up. Get over that. Get over, get past ourselves and start seeing things the way that God sees them. Now, let me tell you something very clear. Be very, this is why I'm recording this because I want other people to hear this in the future. You cannot be a spiritual leader in this church or any church if you're selfish. So if you're gung-ho and wanting to be something in, in the church, in the kingdom of heaven, you first got to learn how to get over yourself. <laughs> And then you can begin to serve. How can a selfish person serve anyways? I mean, let's be honest. It, it, it doesn't work, all right? A selfish person can't serve. And so the root of selflessness in the discipleship fat acronym that we have is teachability. You will never overcome selfishness until you just learn to just be teachable and receive, 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 receive from your environment, from those around you, from the Holy Spirit, from the Word of God. If you're teachable, you'll eventually live selflessly, and then and only then can you overflow with service. All right, the Bible teaches us about selflessness, and it says to be selfless, we must die to our old self. We must die to it. Romans 6, 6, it says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. We've got to die to our old self. And we talk about that quite frequently. So the opposite of selfishness is love. And in John 13, 35, it says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love each other. Now, there's some of us, and I include myself in this, that would love to see the gifts of the Spirit operating more freely in our church. Love to see that. There's some of us that would love to see more outreach and seeing people saved. There's some of us in here that would see, like to see a lot more miracles, people instantly being, you know, healed. But you know what I want more than any of those things? I want love. I want love. I want it to be very clear that we love each other because it says this is how people know that you're my disciples. Not by miracles, not by gifts, not by any of these things, by the love of Jesus that's welling up in us and visible in us. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, Now abide these, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Love. In a marriage, love and evidence of love. In parenting, love and evidence of love. Grandparenting, the same thing. In the church, at work, love and more love. Evidence of love. Love and action. In fact, love equals action. Love is not something you give lip service to. You don't just say, I don't just tell my wife I love her. I better be showing her that I love her. I better, I better be showing evidence so that she knows it, not, the, not so that she just hears it. So we hear in Matthew, 5, uh, in Matthew 25, starting verse 31, I'll read it to you. Matthew 25, verse 31. 
When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit down in his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, listen to this, and you gave. You gave. You didn't just say you loved, you gave. You gave them something to eat. You were thirsty, and you gave them something to drink. Love is an action. I was a stranger, and you invited me. That's an action. I needed clothes. You clothed me. Another action. You were sick. You looked after me. I was in prison. You came to visit me. You know, people in hospitals are literally people in prison. They can't get out. They want to get out. They want to go home, but they can't. People who are homebound are literally in prison. Did you go to visit them? Did you go to care for them? Did you go to encourage them? All right? Love is an action. The king will reply. These people say, I didn't do that. What are you talking about? I didn't do that to you, Jesus. But the king will reply, yes, truly, you did. For when you did it to the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did it for me. I was standing by Sister Leone just a, a couple of days ago, and... I reached down, and she's, she's not totally aware now. Um, she's not doing well at all. She's not totally aware. She's into a place where she's kind of moaning a lot, mumbling. And I took her hand, and the scripture came to me. I'm literally holding the hand of Jesus right now. <laughs> I'm holding Jesus' hand. I came to one of his sheep, and I'm loving his sheep. And you, when you do that, when Miwa does this, when Kay does this, when others do this, when Robert does this, you're doing it as unto the Lord. And that's why Jimmy and I are talking about create, forming these ministry teams that are nimble. They're quick. They can make quick decisions to go visit, to take a meal, and to do it as a group, not to be in individuals. And we can meet people's needs far quicker. We can overflow with service. You say, I'm too busy. It's time to be less busy. It is time to get over ourselves in our busyness. It's time to begin to overflow with what God has poured into us and give it to those that are around us. All right, let's look at number two. I have this sneaky feeling that I'm not going to finish today. Just, we're just going to go, I'll just finish number two, and then we'll, this will be a five-week thing, not a four-week thing. All right, the, the second one is, is an unusual one. Selfishness, yeah, I get that. That sounds biblical. The second one, you're going to listen to it, and you're going to say, what? What's that? What are you talking about? This is huge, and this is a big problem with us as Christians. This is a big problem with us as human beings, and it's this, clarity. Clarity. We have got to get more clarity in our lives. We've got to get more focus in our lives. The opposite of clarity is confusion. <laughs> Complete and utter confusion. Not knowing. Confusion is not knowing where you're going. Where am I headed? And as soon as I start talking this way, I bet all of us can say, I know what you're talking about. Where, what's tomorrow hole for me? Where am I headed? What's the purpose of my life? What's the next step? And you look around at the people you love and you're thinking the same thing for them. Where are they headed? Are they heading in the right direction? We need clarity, desperately need clarity. 
And you think about people at work, they're like hamsters. And I feel like this hamster in one of those things, just going and going. I don't know where I'm going. What's the end product here? Where are we headed? Give me the bigger picture, please. And that's why the Bible says, ask for wisdom and I'll give it to you. Ask for clarity. I will give it to you. All right? We need strong purpose in our lives. Strong purpose. Not flakiness. Purpose. One direction I'm going. I'm going to get in going in that direction. I may not know all the steps going there, but I know where I'm headed and I know the, the step I'm in now, and that's all I need to know. I'm going in the right direction. I need purpose. Purpose crystallizes clarity in our lives. Crystallizes. We must strive for clarity every day because confusion happens by itself. I've got to be intentional about clarity because confusion is all around me. All right? I've got to raise high the lamp or the torch of clarity to drive off the confusion that naturally just comes over me, all right? So what I do, well, every day I take five minutes and I plan my day because I desperately need clarity. And every week I take 10 or 15 minutes and I plan my week. Do I stick with it? No, but at least I knew where I was headed when I started out, all right? And then I refocus every day, refocus every day, why? I was, Daisha's not in here, but Daisha and I were talking. We're dreamers. Our, our brains go into la-la land in about two seconds. And I need something to grasp my attention, my focus, and keep me focused. I've got to have clarity. You know what happens when I don't have clarity? I get overwhelmed. Do you get overwhelmed? Overwhelmed by all these distractions and... and uh, what do they call them? Emergencies. Everybody's lack of planning becomes my emergency, and I don't like that very much. And so I've got to intentionally seek uh, clarity to avoid being overwhelmed. Did you know the Bible talks about being overwhelmed? It actually talks about it a lot, and it tells us how to overcome being overwhelmed. In 2 Kings 19.26, it says, Their people, drained of power, are dismayed. Dismayed is a synonym for being overwhelmed. And what happens when you're overwhelmed? Your power is drained. And then you can't accomplish anything. And so it's imperative that we as godly people, as people of the world as well, because we are people of the world in a godly sense. We're here in this world. We're of this world. Excuse me. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We've got to have clarity. And the world craves clarity. They crave purpose. All right? And it says, so let me read the whole verse again. 2 Kings 19, 26. Their people drained of power are dismayed and put to shame. That's one of the things I fear most in my life is being put to shame. And I, I bet you can, I bet you can uh, identify with that, all right? You will not be put to shame if you have clarity. You will be able to stand up and defend yourself when you have clarity. It's when you're in a fog that you fall into shame. And so you need godly clarity. Clarity counteracts being overwhelmed. It counteracts being discouraged. And it counteracts what you do in a crisis situation. I remember being in a crisis situation. And our little team, I pulled them together. I said, look, this is what we're going to do. And I gave them clarity. These are the things that we're going to do. We're going to keep focused here. 
and we're going to forget everything else because we're in crisis. We've got to fix this problem. All right? That's what you've got to do. You've got to get clarity in crisis situations, and that's what clarity does. It also, clarity won't beat your depression, but it'll help you manage your depression. You got that? When you are depressed, get some clarity so that you can manage the depressing thoughts that are coming over you. Get clarity, and clarity comes from God. So, how, let me ask you this. How on earth could you serve in a church without clarity? <laughs> how could you serve in your church not being focused? You, the, the answer is you can't. You have to have clarity in order to be able to serve in your church. All right? If you go each week on a different pursuit, oh, I'm on this week, I'm over here. And oh, this week, I'm over here. And oh, oh I'm going to do this. No, no, I'm going to do that. You don't have clarity. <laughs> and you need focus. And God, through his purpose, will bring you focus so you stop dabbling and jumping and hopping here and there. A man or woman of focus will be able to serve in their church faithfully and powerfully because they stay on track. Discipleship, the root of discipleship for clarity is faithfulness. Once you learn to be faithful in one thing, God will give you other things to be faithful because you've shown that you can stay focused on the one thing that he's asked you to be faithful to. All right? Very, very important. So being faithfully focused. God's call brings clarity. God's call, listening to God's call, listening to his purpose, will bring clarity into your life. Judges 6, 14, the Lord turned to Gideon and he says, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? When you get the call of God, you will have clarity. You'll be scared half to death, but you'll have clarity. What, did Gideon, what was Gideon supposed to do? Go save Israel. <laughs> and you were sent by God to go save Israel. All right? How on earth Gideon was to do that? He had no idea, but at least he had something that he was shooting for and something he was aiming for. If you don't have clarity in your life, start asking God to give a call on your life. Show you his purpose for your life and actually how your life fits into his purpose. But his purpose for your life, and you will get an abundance of clarity. Your clarity in life is God's simple purpose for your life and his calling. You might say, I don't know what my calling is. That's the problem. <laughs> I don't know what God's purpose for my life is. That's the problem. What I would tell you, get down on your face, your knees, and seek God until he shows you. Let that be your driving purpose then. If you don't know where you're headed, get down on your knees every morning and spend some quality time with God, some quantity of time with God, and seek him until he gives you the clarity that you need in your life. Does that make sense? All right, praise God. Well, we're only on two, so we'll do next three next Sunday. But I'd like to, to, to spend some time in, in self-evaluation. I think that's so important. So if you would bow your heads with me and close your eyes. What is it? What is it that keeps you from a selfless life? What is it that trips you up? I was this week struggling with selfishness, as I do probably every week. And 
God just liberated me from it. <laughs> I mean, that's all I can say is I was seeking God, and God said, you know what? I'm going to help you with this. And he pulverized that selfish ambition that was in my heart. He pulverized it. Am I going to struggle with it again in the future? I'm sure I will. You know, that's just part, part of life. But we've got to get over ourselves. Get over ourselves. Get over our busy lives. My word, my word, my word. So often our busyness is out of insecurity or fear. You and I, we need to figure out why we're so busy and figure out the core root of it and say, you know what? Enough is enough. I'm not going to drive myself like this anymore. I'm going to be available to God. And think about your life right now. What is it? What is it? What is it? What is it that needs to die? So that I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Praise God. Think about yourself. What is it? What is it? Clarity. What is it that's confusing you? What is it that's distracting you? What is it that's pulling at you? And start seeking every morning for godly clarity, godly purpose in your life. Then you won't be jumping from focus to focus to focus. God is looking for faithful people who will stay focused on his purpose and his purpose alone. We only have so much time in life. We can't be focused on our own purposes and God's. There's not enough time for that. We must be focused on God's purposes and God's purposes alone. Amen. Lord.